book of James, and before we start our study of Exodus, I have decided that's what we're going to do, and starting the 21st, uh, we're going to take a look at 1 Timothy. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Timothy 3, looking at verses 1 through 13, or you could look there in your bulletin, it's printed for you. Um, Why this passage? Uh, Well, uh, we have, as you know, we have elected... Uh, we have not elected. We have um, received nominees for elder and deacon. And, and uh, if you were nominated and you were approved by the session, you've already been contacted. And we have a number of men that are going to start um, training uh, for that uh, starting August 21st as well on Sunday evenings. And so I wanted to, I wanted to look at this passage. It's, the, it's a, Paul's description as he lays out what does it mean, what is required to be an elder or a deacon in the church. But I want to expand that because I don't think, it, yes, it applies to, to those of us who are holding office or getting ready to, to become elders and deacons, but it really is just a description of what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a man? Um, um, and so I want us to, the, the two points I have here uh, before I read, just what does it look like, what happens when man defines man? We're going to look at the wrong answer to the question of what is a man. What, what, is it, what happens when, when we try to define what it means to be a man? And then secondly, we'll look at what, when God defines man. And that's here in this text. And just I want to go ahead and express... Uh, a thanks to one of my mentors in RUF, Les Newsom. Um, he's a former campus minister and air coordinator. And uh, this outline uh, I owe largely to him. So thank you, Les, if you're listening. Anyway, I wanted to be up front with that. So uh, before we read God's Word, let's, let's pray. Gracious God, um, we, need, we need you to define what is true. And uh, we need your Word um, we need your word that has power, that's effectual. Uh, we need to rely not on our own understanding, but yours. And so, Lord, we come each, each Sabbath, each Lord's Day, opening your scriptures, seeking what is true, seeking you, Lord Jesus. And so, Lord, um, meet us this morning. Help us to see how you define biblical manhood. And, Lord, help us... Um, the men in the room to hear and to turn to you and and rely upon you and Lord uh, help the women uh, our sisters in Christ to encourage us in these things Lord thank you uh, for speaking to us on this issue we pray this in Jesus name Amen the saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer he desires a noble task Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. 
Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest, dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing in them for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God endures forever. Um, do you all remember there was this great ad campaign uh, probably 10, maybe 15 years ago? Uh, Dos Equis, the most interesting man in the world. Do you all remember that? And uh, I feel like it really does capture uh, you know, a lot of our... Cultures, what is what is a man, right? Uh, I'm going to read you a few of these. These are my favorites. Um, uh, the most interesting man in the world. Once a rattlesnake bit him, after five days of excruciating pain, the snake finally died. His feet don't get blisters, but his shoes do. Whatever side of the tracks he's currently on is the right side. Even if he crosses the tracks, he'll still be standing on the right side. He once brought a knife to a gunfight just to even the odds. He can, t- he can kill two stones with one bird. Sharks have a week dedicated to him. He lives vicariously through himself. He bowls overhand. That's my favorite one. I don't know why. Anyway. He once had an awkward moment just to see how it feels. His beard alone has experienced more than a lesser man's entire body. And this is the last one. Um, His mother has a tattoo that says, Son. Um... We, we, when we try to define manhood, I mean, that's, those are exaggerations, but what makes someone um, interesting and dynamic in a real man's man? And when we think about that definition, when we, when we as man tries to define man, when our culture, when, when we do that, we, we really do come up short. You know, we, there is this idea of uh, manhood being a real man as someone who is muscular and athletic and aggressive. Uh, you, you're not a real man unless you're stoic and uh, don't show your emotions. To be emotional is not to be a real man. Uh, sometimes we define manhood by earning potential. You know, how much do you make? How productive are you in society? And then also... Uh, we define manhood, and uh, I left some of these things out from the interesting man, uh, through romantic or sexual experience, exploits, and prowess. That's an often used t- uh, measure of what makes a man. And really what I want you to see, those are really all from pagan cultures. Pag- that's paganism. Um, 
we, we have this idea of what a man is and we have narrowed it down to just those things and really that's, you know, if you, if you grew up in the 70s, 80s, like I did, 80s and 90s, if you grew up then, that, that was the idea of what makes a man. And, um, and there's still people that have that. That's, that's, that's what makes you really masculine uh, in our society. But really that just comes from Greek and Roman culture. That's from pagan cultures that have, you know, found their way into Western society. Um, but now there's a different view of manhood. So you have this pagan definition that comes down from the from from the ages that's still in our society, uh, and then you and then you have this now a postmodern uh, what Tim Keller calls an asocietal culture. Uh, again, we live in a place which really post postmodern. If you want me to get into the philosophy, I won't. But you heard me right, asocietal. That's how where we live right now. It used to be that society you know, spoke into your life and gave you your identity. But now the culture is, now the idea is that I identify myself and demand society to accept me. It's a, it's a weird thing. And, and Keller and other, you know, said that, you know, this is the first time this has ever really happened. You can't find a time uh, in, our, in our recorded history where the individual imposed themselves on, on society. And, and so, again, now it's, what is man? Well, nobody knows. What is man? What is woman? There are people who just, it's only a subjective feeling. It's just a personal decision. It's how you feel about yourself in the moment. Um, and so this is a rejection of Western culture, but it still defines gender based on Western cultural concepts. Do you realize that? Like, even though it's like, I'm going to define it, but now it's, I must be a man if I'm aggressive, or if I like sports, or if I am stoic and not emotional. It's still using these categories, these old categories, these pagan categories, to determine if I myself, whether whatever you're uh, genetic makeup is if I am a man or woman. It's really strange. Okay, so the individual decides, but we're still using these same pagan categories to determine who you are and what you are. Again, it's a confusing time. And when man tries to define uh, man, we come up short and we, we get it wrong. Who, who read, and sometimes as the church, we we come up short, don't we? This is not just a, a problem with the world out there. Um, but we can let these pagan views of manhood seeped into the church. Do you all remember the book Wild at Heart? I'm sure some of you read it and enjoyed it and it benefited in some ways from it. But here, here's, a, here's an excerpt from it. From uh, This is John Eldridge's book, Wild at Heart. He says, The scripture is filled with examples of genuine masculinity. You could mine David's story for probably a year by itself, and we have to get the masculinity of Jesus back. Not the pale-faced altar boy, but the man that made a weapon and cleared the temple, who boldly cast out demons and calmed the raging sea. And if you've read that book or experienced that or shaped by that book, it was like, get outdoors, go hunt, lift weights, be athletic. And again, it was those same concepts of Jesus wasn't a pale-faced altar boy. That's true. <laughs> what he said is true, that Jesus was a dynamic human being. That his, that his person was not, we had this kind of like, he is gentle and lowly, and he was bold and brave, Right? 
courageous. Um, but again, the pendulum swung too far, and we had again this very really pagan cultural view of, of what manhood had to be and read that back into the scriptures. Uh, a guy named Mark Singleton wrote an article on this book and how it affected him. He says this, and this is his article. It's called, Will the Real Masculine Jesus Please Stand Up? Um, and he, he said this. He goes, When you read this book, um, Wild at Heart, it, it brought freedom and hope that you had not felt much of prior. Afterwards, you might have signed up to go skydiving or picked a fight with the mailman. I don't know. Anyway. But in the end, years later, you find yourself still hoping for the adventure that you feel should be marked by your life. I have seen this pendulum swing in my life. I was a good boy. I won awards for my conduct and had a good reputation for it. But I felt timid and thought at times my kindness was taken advantage of. When reading these books, I finally felt that I was ready to right all wrongs in my life. I was going to confront every guy that ever disrespected me. I was going to be a mixture of Tyler Durden from Fight Club, that's a movie, uh, and Jesus. <laughs> and in some ways, that's what I ended up doing. I listened to sermons on masculinity that reminded me how tough Jesus was, and I began adopting every notion of masculinity that the world painted, or even some Christian authors and pastors painted. It was thrilling. But as time went by, I realized the many flaws within this version of biblical masculinity. It was not truly committed to what the Bible was saying about Jesus or masculinity. I chose verses that endorsed my aggression and drove them into the ground while ignoring the verses that show Christ as being humble and compassionate. So, even churchy people like us, when we try to define who we are on our own, we get it wrong. We get it wrong. And so... That's when we try to define it. We, 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 we look to pagan culture. We even look into ourselves and make it completely objective. Or we look to Christian books and teachers that say things that kind of, you know, appeal to us. But does it, is that really the counsel of God? And so we have to always be careful. When I preach, by the way, I hope you have your Bibles open and you are making sure that what I'm telling you is from God's Word. I am not wholly inspired and inerrant. Only God is. Only His Scriptures are. And so just because a, a Christian author wrote it or just because it's in that section of the bookstore, man, you've got to be careful. So we can't define men or even women. Women are like, I think, I think women would be better at defining man than, than men anyway. Uh, and maybe that's true. But you're still not wholly inspired and inerrant either, are you? You're not. And so only way we can really know what it is to be a man is to look to Scripture. And again, these are all things. We're not all called to be elders and deacons. But this is what growing in maturity looks like for us brothers in Christ, doesn't it? Okay? And so we're going to look at this. What, what is it... What is, what is the way that God defines man? This is our second point. When God defines man, what do we see? Well, we see that true masculine qualities, when we look at the requirements to serve as elders and deacons, and if a man does not appear to be godly, then according to Paul talking to Timothy, then he's probably not. 
Um, and so here are the three things we see in, in a, a biblical manhood. We see uh, that there are men of conviction, men of character, and a men committed to Jesus Christ. So where do we see this, this conviction in a true biblical manhood? Well, look at what it says. It says they're convinced of the truth of the gospel. Um, it says that he must, um, he must be apt to teach. He must know the scriptures well. Um, you see that in verse 2. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. He is, he is living his life according to what the scripture lays out. Uh, verse 9, they must hold the mystery, we're talking about deacons, must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. The mystery of the faith is the gospel that through Jesus Christ we're united to, to God through faith. Uh, not only Jews, but Gentiles alike. That's the mystery that's been revealed through Jesus Christ. Um, they must be convinced of the truth of the scripture, the truth of the gospel. Uh, and so they also must be convinced of the need to grow in grace and knowledge. You see that in verse 6. He must not be a recent convert, convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall in, into condemnation of the devil. That's, that's the purpose we all have, is not to stay in our infancy as Christians, but to continue to grow and with the help of the Spirit, to, to, as we vow that we would seek to study the purity and peace of the gospel. That's, what, that's part of the general membership, not just to be an elder or deacon, but that we want as men to grow and not just stay, okay, I trust in Jesus, I walked the aisle, I made a decision, and now I just go and clock in, clock out. We really, we're supposed to continue to seek the Lord and grow in our understanding of Him. Also, thirdly, they should be convinced of their desperate need of the gospel. Look back a few a few, uh, one page in your Bible to uh, chapter 1, verse 13. He says, this is Paul, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. You know, this goes in the face of, of what our culture says a real man is. This someone who's independent and who lives vicariously through themselves, who 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 can who can master anything that comes their way and who can who can pull themselves up by their bootstraps and figure out life. And what does Paul say? Paul says, I was an enemy. In my life I was completely lost and hopeless apart from the grace of of God. And a real man knows that. Biblical masculinity, being a leader, even in the church, is not having life all together and having it all figured out, but going, I need Jesus. Jesus has done it all. Jesus has saved me. Jesus brought me up out of the pit. I cried out to Him for help, and He was faithful to deliver me. And He always is. And that 
Walking in the way of Christ isn't something that we do on our own, but it's Christ's work in us. Paul is saying that. I'm not doing this to show how great I am, but how wonderful Christ is. What He has done in my life. And I'm an example, not of how great I am, look at Grant, but how great Christ is. That's what Paul's saying. Don't look at me. Look at me and see the work of Jesus in my life. As men, it's not enough just to do right things. We must build our life on Christ who saves us and loves us. Men of conviction. Conviction about the truth of the gospel. Conviction about the need to keep looking to Jesus and grow as, as believers. And the need, our need of the gospel. We're convinced that we are are not sufficient for the world, that we are insufficient for the things that come our way, but we are convinced that Christ is sufficient. We need Him, not just to be saved, but every single day. Men of conviction. Conviction defines a mature man of the faith. Secondly, God requires and says we need, they need to be men of character. And you see that throughout this text as we look at these requirements of elders, overseers, and deacons. He says they need to be sexually pure. He says they need to be well balanced in their life and emotions. See that sexually pure husband of one wife. And then look, sober-minded, self-controlled, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. He needs to make sound and wise choices. And he needs to be, it says self-controlled. You go, well, that sounds like something that you do. No, it's something that we grow in. And as I read these things, and men, as you hear that, as you hear this list... And it keeps going, uh, hospitable, teachable, not controlled by alcohol, does not hold grudges, able to forgive, gentle and compassionate, not materialistic, able to manage God's provision. And you read those things and you hear that. That's where we come back to this conviction. As you read that, is anyone, can anyone raise their hand and say they're getting all this right? I hope, I hope, guys, that we can raise our hand and say, I'm seeing God transform me in those areas. Can you raise your hand and say, you're better than you were if you've walked with the Lord for a bit, for a while? I hope so. And, you see, that's a, that's a strange thing about sanctification, isn't it? Like, you're being sanctified, but really, you're seeing your sin more clearly, aren't you? When you grow. And it becomes more nasty and horrible to you, doesn't it? When your anger is out of control. When you when that when lust enters into your heart, your mind. When you're when you just don't tired of making decisions and you just make a decision without really thinking it through. When you, when you feel like, I need, to, I need to know, 
I'm tired of not knowing the answer, so I'm just going to act like I do and not listen to anybody. When you're so offended by someone else's sin and so blind to your own that you hold that grudge and you don't let it go. Man, this is hard. There's not one man that holds the office of elder and deacon that is perfect. But we're all called to be trying in the, in the grace of God to, to emulate this. To be dying to the sin of, of, of lust. To, be, to, to recognize that this culture's view that a man must be stoic and not be able to talk about emotions as being just gross and sinful. When Christ could say, I love you. And Christ could say beautiful things and, and, and speak His mind and weep with His friends. We need to, we are, we are growing in this as your current elders and deacons. And hopefully we are showing these things, emulating these things. And we're not just figuring them out, but you're, we're called to call men to these offices that are already showing that they're growing in these areas. And seeking God's grace to do it. Desperate for their need of God to help them live this way. Here's a note, a quote from Les. Um, he said that, you know, as, as you think about this thing, this, how does this apply to our women? Are our women checked out? I hope not. Especially you young women who are seeking a man, a godly man to maybe marry one day or to date. These are things you're looking for. Not perfect, but that they know their categories for what a man is to be. Les says, in speaking of self-control, he says, um, you want someone able to control himself and that he doesn't need a woman to make him into someone. Here's a tip, women. If he cannot change his habits and character without you, he will not change anything with you. I guess that goes for you young men too, right? Just talking about women. <laughs> it goes both ways. Um, men of character seeking sexual purity seeking to balance life and emotions seeking to make wise decisions to, to seek out counsel not just to rely on their own understanding but to, to ask people that have wisdom in their life that have gone through things before self-control like going is, is this is, again not in our own power not in our own ability but Lord help help me to to know uh, when I'm acting rightly and accordingly to, to be able to control myself to be diligent and, to, and, and make plans and to follow through and, and, and to and to and to be responsible uh, with the, the things you've given me to be responsible over. Uh, to be hospitable. To make room for other people in your life. 
And again, sometimes it's, you know, thinking about this the wrong view of biblical manhood. If, if, if your view of being the, being the man of the house is just to work hard and bring home money and all that's all you do and you don't have time for other people and have time to make room in your life for other people, then, then you've gone astray. To be teachable, you don't have it all figured out. You still need other people speaking into your life, speaking God's Word into your life. That when you're overwhelmed and, you're, and you can't, can't figure out life, you don't turn to substances to help you get through for, or for crutches, but you turn to the Lord in prayer and you let people know that you're struggling. That you have a category that you need grace and you need God's mercy. And so when you are in a fight, when someone does let you down, you're not devastated by that. And you don't think, how could you ever hurt me or do that to me? But you recognize what? I do that to God every day. So I'm not going to hold this grudge. I'm going to forgive because Christ forgives me. Not materialistic. Not needing stuff or needing needing money, needing a certain salary to justify them himself, but to know that God provides and God has you exactly where He wants you to be and that He will make, provide for your needs. And then finally it says a man who's, who can control, it says what? Um, manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. We're supposed to be family men. That's how I want to summarize it. You're, we're supposed to be men who, who aren't checked out, who don't leave that to, to others, to mom or to wife. Not everyone in here is married. But we, we care about our families. We care about the people that God's put in our family. What, what was the original sin for Adam? Do you remember? You know, Eve, Eve, gets the, Eve picked the fruit and gave it to him, but what was his sin? It was abdication. He left her in it, didn't he? The one whom God made and, and trusted with his, with, the, with, the, with his word, he left his wife to fend for herself and just followed her lead. Again, not that she was... It's, it's not, don't hear what I'm not saying. It's good to listen to your wife, guys. It's good to listen to the moms and the women in your life that God's put in your life. They, they have wisdom. and they're, But, but he, just, he just left her alone in it. And, and in all these areas, I, I feel like, you know, man, that, that's all our tendency is to abdicate. We, in our flesh, we're just like Adam. Sometimes you kind of get haughty and look at Adam and go, what a doofus, what a jerk, you know? How could he do that? I would have killed that snake. what I would have done. Then I go, how about just communicating with my, to my wife when I'm going to be late? I stink at that. <laughs> A snake, easy. But just being considerate, that's hard. Guys, you know what I'm saying? Okay, maybe not. Maybe it's just me. Anyway, um, but we, we fall short and we're trying. But we again, it comes back to the conviction, we need Jesus to do this. And in Christ, we can. We can. We are being conformed to His image. We 
When God defines men, we see that He says men, they're men of conviction, they're men of character, and finally, and I've been saying this all along, but I want to land here, real men are committed to Jesus Christ. Men, we are to find our peace, our identity, our purpose, our purpose in Christ. He is our King. We are His servants. We are to emulate Him. I've, I've got to do two weddings the past month. And again, I've said this many times in counseling, and I got to say it twice this last this this month, last month in July. Uh, as husbands, we're called what to model Christ and His love for the church. And again, you don't have to be a husband right now to, to, to for that to apply to you. You are to care about those God has put in your life, to care about if you're a husband, your spouse, and your children, but also to care about His church. And to care about the people, God's, and your brothers and sisters in Christ especially. We're to lay down our lives for one another. We're to, we're to, we're to lead and guide one another. That really, when we're talking about what defines biblical masculinity, it is Jesus Himself. Jesus Fully God, but came as a man who grew up in wisdom and stature, who was born a baby and grew into a boy and then into an adolescent. They didn't have that word then, then to a teenager. I don't think they had youth group at the synagogue, but anyway, those are words we use. He, he grew up into a man, but he went through all the stages and all the struggles and was tempted in every way as we are. But he defines what a man is. And really, all Paul is doing... He's given you a picture of Jesus. And again, you go, well, Jesus wasn't married. Yes, He was. Married to us, His church. That's the beautiful mystery. And He was complex. He wasn't just... He was gentle and, and compassionate and bold. And unapologetic about the truth at the same time. So we need to let the Bible speak for itself about who, the, who He is. He is the man who spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well when it was not acceptable to do so. And He's also the man who didn't come to bring peace but a sword. He came to turn the world on its head. He did it. He is the lion and the lamb. The ruler that, that, that reigns and no one can match and He's the one who, who ruled and led us through to the other side and defeated sin and death through death by sacrificing Himself. I am praying that as my sons um, grow up, as we go camping or play basketball on the, on the driveway or... Um, eat red meat. Um, <laughs> change tires on the car. Um, and just talk about hard things. I, I pray that they will enjoy the thought that at one time Jesus was a kid like them. A young man like them. That he grew up playing games with other kids. He grew And he grew up in wisdom and stature. And, and that... He came and walked that, walked that, 
walk that walk for us, man. He, he shows us what that looks like. Again, we can't do it perfectly, but he, again, what is it, what is it to be a man? It's, it's Jesus. And again, there's, sometimes we look at the, at the picture of Jesus and we go, I can't do that, so what's the point? No, the point is, I can't do that, yes, yes, so I need him. I need to be relying on him. If I can't do it myself, then why try? And guys, we so often do that. That's our flesh. That's our abdicating. That's our, you know, it just gets so hard. But we look to Him and know you can't do it on your own. But in Christ, He is going to complete the good work He began in you. He is going to mature you in all the ways laid out here. He is going to help you be a man in the way that He has defined it. In His Word and in His very life. As men, it's okay to be scared, to be hurt. It's okay to cry. It's okay to have emotions. It's okay to be dependent. And as we admit our weakness and go to Christ in our weakness, He will make us men of conviction, more and more men of character, and ultimately more and more men who are committed to Jesus Christ. If you're convicted, good, I am. If you have taken, if you're getting ready to come study and, and do training for how to be an officer in the church, I hope you're convicted. And I hope that in the coming weeks you're just looking to Jesus more and more. And if you're not, if you're not a, a man who's currently be, you know, an officer or, will, or looking to become an officer, that still you would hear this and go, man... I, I do fall short, but really what God requires is acknowledgement of my weakness, acknowledgement of my struggle. He's made us all differently, but ultimately what He's made us to be able to do in His power by the Spirit is to model His life, to, 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 to be more and more like Him. And that's what, that's what, that should be our heart's desire, is to be men, not in the way our culture defines, but men in the way the, the Scripture, Jesus Christ, defines. Let me pray. Gracious God, we thank you that um, you lay out what we're called to do and how we're called to live as men in the church. Lord, we got we're really confused about that at times, and we get really as men we can get really um, two things: we can become real uh, self-assured and self-righteous. But also we become really defeated and really overwhelmed by the demands of life. And we can either try too hard and drive people away to being harsh and overbearing, or we can abdicate and turn in on ourselves and withdraw and leave our families and our friends and our church alone. Lord, meet us in our weakness. Help us to be convinced of the gospel and convinced that you are working in our lives, that what you require from us, you supply. And help us in, as we rest in your grace and your love, to move towards you, to 
become more like You and to love our families and our church, our communities well. Make us men of conviction, men of character, men committed to You. And Lord, for those young ladies in the room, help them to find a man of conviction, character, who's committed to You as they look for husbands. And for the women who are married, Lord, help them to remind their husbands of what You've called them to be and that You love them as they are in process and You delight to see um, God's work in them. Though it's not perfect, though they're not perfect, God is perfecting them. Lord, thank You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.